So we're looking at the interior castle. Um, uh, I started this three weeks ago, looking at uh, uh, an account of Jesus, and he was in, the, in a boat during a storm. And it says in uh, Mark 4.38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And um, we want to develop head-on-a-pillow peace in whatever storm, right? We want to be uh, steadfast and secure and certain uh, and not shaken by small things. We want to be, anybody else like me? I want to be strong. Ah, you know what I mean? World's strongest man stuff. We want to be strong. And, uh, and so we're going to continue to talk about that uh, today. And hopefully I'll just stir some of you thinking and, um, and let's see where, where God takes us together. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. Um, I'll read the whole section. I think verse 23 will come up on the board behind me. It's the main scripture. But let me read the whole piece. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And then the verse should come up behind me and be made new in the attitude or the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The Bible here tells us be made new in the very spirit of your mind, in the attitude of your mind. Uh, um, Scientists studied... uh, uh, people going through various kinds of crisis or small difficulties and discovered that the way people reacted was more about who they were than what was going on. So when they faced a crisis, generally sad people get sad and mad people get mad and guilty people feel shame, but happy people stay happy. Yeah. Yeah. We see the world not as it is, but as we are. Judges puts it this way, as a man is, so is his strength. Who we are is a lens that we work through our whole world by. And the the truth is that we don't see reality, we see our perception. And who knows that this fills human relationships. We make assumptions, we make judgments, we make, uh, you know, uh, we, we come to what we think are realizations. And then we discover all along, they never said that, they never meant that, that was never their motivation, never even happened in the first place. Because we see our perception of reality and what we think is truth really often isn't. So God help us get the lens right. Be made new in the very spirit of our mind so we see the world as God's world. And we love the world as God loves the world. And we can interact with strength. Uh, Happiness is a thing that when your mind is well, it goes looking for and it creates Happiness is a very strange thing. Um, And contentment, happiness, and that inner peace is something that when you're operating well, your mind should help you to find. Again, some other little studies. Um, They studied a group of lottery winners and a group of people that had become paraplegics. And they discovered six months after the lottery win, the lottery winners were considerably more unhappy than six months before, the day before they won. Six months after a paraplegic's accident, they are almost back to normal happiness. Why? Because our brain has the capacity to search out and make happiness and make the most of what's going on. And go, right, I can get through this. What truly makes me happy? 
Again, this is another, uh, another way that a, a scientist put it, uh, so I'm, or a, a psychologist. I'm just going to say it the way they said it, even though it's a little bit naughty. So when a, a, a girl is going out with a guy who picks his nose, she dumps him. But when a girl is married to a guy who picks his nose, she tells herself, but he's got a heart of gold, I just don't eat his fruitcake. In other words, your mind is searching for happiness and going, I'm happy with that. Some guys went on a photography course, and again, it was a scientific experiment. They didn't know that they would do a photography course, two groups, and they told one group that at the end of it, you will be able to choose a picture at the end of the course and take it away with you. They told the second group, you'll be able to choose a picture, take it away with you, but you can change it after a month if you want to. Guess who was happier with their picture? The ones who instantly had to go, I'll have that one. And when they were asked later on, they said, no, it still is the best of all the pictures. And the guys that could choose were busy going, is it the best? See how the mind works. Is it the best? What about, oh, what about that one back there? Because now I have the capacity to change. My happiness is going to be affected within me. When your mind is functioning well, it creates happiness. And it's not false. But healthy people find happiness in today. You'll find a lot of people unhealthy because they want their happiness to be what yesterday had or to be what tomorrow brings, so they're never happy with today. But there's great happiness to be found, isn't there, in being present, in enjoying today. Now, I'm the leader of this glorious, wonderful church, and I, I love meeting in a cinema and setting up and all the things that we have to do. And Now, I could sit here going, but it will be happy when. No, 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 I'm here with you wonderful people in air-conditioned luxury, lovely comfy seats, just a few of you snoring. That ain't bad for today. We're here. We're not persecuted for worshipping today here. We can enjoy God together. Got some wonderful friends in this room. Able to grow in God, enjoy worship. There's something powerful about being present, not hankering for the future or hankering over the past. When we allow our brains to find happiness in today, we have inner peace. Head on a pillow, peace. We want to learn to discover how to walk in happiness, right? And uh, so there's this verse uh, that I want to just go into for a little while, then we'll turn a corner. Ephesians 4.27, hopefully it'll come up on the board behind me. Um, and it says this, Ephesians 4 says, Do not give the devil a foothold. I used to have a budgery car. Anybody ever used to watch Mork and Mindy? Yeah. Put your hand up if you watch Mork and Mindy. All right, put your hand up if you don't know what I'm on about. You need to get on YouTube. Robin Williams is this alien that came down and his name was Mork. And he used to sleep by hanging upside down in his wardrobe. So my bird, I called Mork. And just to show the power of the tongue, he used to hang upside down from his perch and fall asleep. But Mork, when I first got Mork, I would open the door to the cage and put my hand in. Who's ever done that to a bird that isn't used to it, right? That isn't trained. What happens? Flap, 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 flap. Why? Because fear takes over. You hit the panic buttons, you, however you want to call it. You've created panic in that little cage and the bird is going nuts. And Mork used to go nuts. Eventually, we'd let him out the cage and let him, let him fly around the living room. He loved that freedom so much, except for we forgot to close the curtains. If you've ever heard the bonk of a budgie hit the window, is he all right? I don't know. Put him in the cage and pray for him. 
he was fine. Probably slightly demented, but fine. What makes you flap? What opens your what have you got your cage door open to? And the hand comes into your life and suddenly you're all a flap on the inside. We all are. Don't give the devil a foothold is the way that Paul's put it here in Ephesians. What makes you flap on the inside? We all have stuff, don't we? Isn't it different for all of us? One that breezes through something, the next one's having a complete panic attack over. Because we've all got different stuff in our lives. And when the door opens, we panic, we flap, we go into a flap. And I just want to talk about a few of those little areas for a moment and just see if I can, see if you can uh, uh, understand any of these. These are a lot of the things, and it's going to be loads more I know, but I hope it'll help someone. These are some of the things that we have in our lives that when they're in our lives, they open the door to the enemy and often it creates stress and unrest in our lives. It doesn't need to be there. Number one, control. If you've got to live life by controlling everything around you, you are going to live a stressed life. Everybody's looking at their shoes right now. <laughs> Actually, we can't control our kids, really. Anyone ever noticed? You, can't, you certainly can't control your parents. <laughs> they're off on holiday again. They're not even there. <laughs> Have you noticed, though, you can't really control your employees. You can't really control work. You can't control things around about you. And those that try to hold everything and just, just sit where you are and do as you're told. And if you'd only do what I say, everything would go well. Anybody ever been there? But of course, every time, it's like the little boy in the school assembly who's sitting down and the head teacher says, Cooper, stand up. And the little kid goes, no. Cooper, stand up. No. And the teacher stands him up. And little Cooper says, yeah, but I'm sitting on the inside. <laughs> I mean, you can try and control your world if you want to, but it will lead to lots of stress, lots of flapping, because you'll have time and time again when you suddenly realize, I'm not in control of all this. Lisa Bevere wrote a book, Out of Control and Loving It. Some of us need to find peace in this wonderful thing that we really cannot control. If you lead a team or a connect group or a department or a church or a business, understand it's not a piece of machinery that if everything just gets in its right place and you press go, it'll all work. No, in life, God didn't put us in a factory to work machines. He made a garden and put man in it and said, tend it. Our children are gardens that we tend. Our departments, ministries, businesses, homes are places that we tend. And do you notice that like your garden, it has a life of its own? Where did that weed come from? I don't even know, but I'll pluck it out at the right moment. I think I'll just move that from there to there. But essentially, my world kind of has a life of its own. And it's great because the kingdom of God kind of has a life of its own and things grow and develop. And, and so for good or bad, we've got to get used to the fact that we're not locking down our world. It's kind of growing around us. And what we do with life is good attitude is this. I'm going to cultivate good life, not try and control everything. If not, you're going to live in stress. Anybody say amen? Oh, yeah. Fear. Now, fear can be good, of course. If you tell me I have a, a fear of, of, of standing over the edge of very tall cliffs, I'll go, good on you. Keep that fear. That's a good one. Right? I have a fear of playing with the traffic on the motorway. Good. You know, when, when Zach was learning to ski and he had no fear, he was dangerous. 
So on a nice, big, wide, soft, snowed area, I came up behind him, determined to give him a little shove because he didn't know what a fall was, and I wanted him to know what a fall was. Thankfully, before I even got to him, he took a tumble over and over and over, kind of faster than I imagined. And he tumbled all the way down, and then he stopped, and then he looked up, tears in his eyes. Okay, Daddy, I'll do what you say. (laughs) He needed a bit of fear. We need a bit of fear in life, don't we? But who knows, when we get overwhelmed by it, it controls our world. We've got to root out fear. Worry. The Bible really has a simple thing to say about worry, right? You ready for it? It's deep. Look me in the eye. Stop it. It's insulting to God. There's a good way around to put it. Instead, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Cast all your cares on him. The God of peace will be with you. He just says stuff like that. Focus on me instead of life's difficulties. Addictions. When we're addicted to, to, to you know, all kinds of things come up in our lives, be it, be it pornography or alcohol or drugs or approval or food. Who knows that actually all these things are never what they are. They're always a pursuit of love and tenderness and compassion and human interaction. And we need to learn that actually the solution to addiction is not being harsh on yourself so much as learning to love who you are and learning to be in loving relationships. And then you realize addictions fall away like an autumn leaf. Right? At the root of these things, we've got to know I'm loved and I'm pleased and learn how to live our lives loved. Shame. Someone called it the swamp land of the soul. Shame grows in secrecy, in judgment, in silence, in, in regret. We need to deal with shame and pull it out of our lives. I'll, I'll say how in a minute. Unforgiveness. Um, we're at, this verse, don't give the devil a foothold, actually comes from the place of unforgiveness and offense. When we live in unforgiveness and offense, we have opened the door to the enemy. Right? And if we've got the enemy in our lives, who knows that stuff's going to be unsettled and full of stress and full of difficulty. Unforgiveness kind of does that. I love, again, I've mentioned it every week, but that great testimony of Amanda who was uh, bedridden for nine years and then got out. And she said, I, had, I, was about, I can't remember, 18 months in or something like that, or 18 months before she was healed. She said, I realized I had to forgive some people. And it wasn't God being cruel. It was God setting me free. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment is letting someone else live rent-free in your head. These are all great quotes, aren't they? The truth is we've got to set ourselves free by going, okay, I refuse to let you own me or put your hand in my cage anymore. I'm going to say, no, 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 I forgive you. Because I refuse to stop you stop making me a forgiving person. I forgive you. And something happens that releases us from all the shaking that goes on inside of us. Ambition. The book of James, chapter 3 and verse, I reckon, 16. It's hard to see up here well, from this way around. It says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, listen to this, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Do you know that ambition is a gateway to the enemy? Selfish ambition. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Where, because when we're living in ambition, we can often live in envy and in covetousness. And I, I want what they've got and I wish I was more. And again, it all comes down to this thing. Am I loved? Am I enough? Am I worthy? And so it shakes our world when we don't feel admired. 
But when our hearts feel admired by God, there's a rest that comes. Amen? I love this. In Genesis 11, the story of Babel, they're building the tower. It says this. It's got this great line. It says, that, let's build a tower to the heavens that we may make a name for ourselves. And God tears it down. The very next chapter, right at the beginning, God says to Abraham, I will make your name great. The only one who will make a name great is God himself. Don't worry about your names great or not. Don't worry if you're famous or not, significant or not. We're all significant in heaven. Amen? The Bible's been really clear. Some of the most seemingly insignificant, seemingly dishonorable, actually are precious in God's sight. And the most important, if only we really believed this scripture, right? I'm saying, right, I'm just going to serve, and I'm going to love, and I'm going to get on with life, and I'm not going to let ambition tear away at my, the foundation of my interior castle. Ego and pride. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you. I don't want to be resisted by God. So every time I sense ego in me, which is a lot. Anybody else in the room want to admit to ego and pride? Thank you, both of you. I appreciate it. Come on, we all have an issue with ego. The thing is, as soon as we get into ego, we're being resisted by God. That doesn't sound like a cool place. The pathway of the kingdom is always, right, I'll take the humble road. Uh, usually that means I'll take the quiet road. I'll take the, let them do whatever they want to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take the high, quiet road and stick with God. Let him vindicate. Let him be the one. Right, And when we get our hearts in that humble place, I can tell you're lapping this up this morning when you've got your heart in that humble place. But there's something so peaceful about it. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to fight for what I want. I don't have to fight to have you like me. Just God loves me. It's a place of peace. He's on my side. If God be for me, who can be against me? Even though an army waged war against me, my heart will be at peace. Yabba, dabba, do. Right? That's, that, that's it. And here's a, I think this is the last one I'm, I'm going to do. And then, um, and then I've got about a, a fifth of my way through the sermon. So that's great. Um, <laughs> caring too much. It's a really weird one to preach on. But very often, caring pastoral or leadership types care so much it shakes our world. And the bigger the community you're in, you're always facing a few crises, a few people that are really struggling. And anybody here, like me, just really wants to get on a big white horse, charge in and save everyone. Is it anybody like that? I wish I could pay everyone's debts, sort out everyone's problems, heal everyone's depression, fix everyone's house situation. Yes, you can all live with me. Oh. Anybody like me have, it's not really what the term means, but anyway, I'll say it, a Messiah con. You just want to save people. But again, at its root, often is the desire to be liked. Not always. Sometimes we really just are full of compassion. But if we don't have a sense of control of that, we can be overwhelmed by other people's need. You've got enough grace for you, and you've got enough grace to deal with what you're supposed to deal with, with the people you are supposed to help. But anybody here sometimes pick up a whole load of stuff belonging to others, and you suddenly realize, shouldn't have touched this? Because very often it goes really wrong. Anybody ever been there? And suddenly you're being kind one minute, and you're being blamed the next. Got to be careful with care, especially with caring people, and this room is full of caring people. Don't let the cares of others overwhelm you. Yeah. We were not made to carry care. We were made to trust. Yeah. 
I don't know about you, but the last time I looked, I'm not Jesus. And I've tried it, but I'm not omnipresent. Anybody here? Actually, if we think we've got to be the one to rush in, and we all know there's a time to rush in. But if we think we've always got to be the one, you're lining yourself up to carry cares that you don't need to care. I hear God from heaven some days going, I care more than you. I love more than you. But if I'm not going to overwhelm their free will and make them do what my word says, then neither can you. And so when we care too much, we line ourselves up. For pain. So what do, what do we do about all these kinds of things? Well, um, let me give you four points for what we do to pull these, these stones out of the, the foundation and the walls of our interior castle because they're weak points where the enemy comes in and makes us flap. Well, here's the first thing that we do. Number one, we read. Reading. As we read the Word of God, it's amazing how many people try to have theological arguments and don't know the Bible. I mean, I, I see them on social media, I hear them on Question Time, I, I hear them on the, on the TV and on the radio, and, they, and I actually heard someone quote yesterday, um, you know, secular media news program saying, if only more Christians read their Bible, over all the stuff that the Anglican Church is doing at the moment, if only more Christians read their Bible, this wouldn't happen. And I'm like, it's precisely because Christians are reading their Bible that these things are happening. Because the Bible is full of some tough stuff sometimes. Let's not make a God in our own image. Read the word. And in reading the word, you'll start to pull out some areas. If fear is your issue, read it. For God did not give me a spirit of fear. Who am I really? The, the, the Bible's like a mirror. And we look at it and go, who am I really? God did not give me a spirit of fear. Hang on a minute. He didn't give me this spirit, but he gave me love, boldness, and a sound mind. That's who I am, really. And as we read the word and get it into us, something begins to stir inside of us. It's point number one. Number two, say, saying. First through reading, second through saying. We need to put the word of God on our lips. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. If you love your tongue, you'll eat its fruit. That's a great saying, isn't it? So what's your tongue been saying? Rotten fruit or nice, juicy melon? Oh, with a little bit of syrup on and some strawberries and some red berries. Because I'm saying over my life what God says. God has not given me a spirit of fear. I've got to be honest with you. I'm a bit of an American televangelist when it comes to confession. I walk around my house, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I lie, sometimes I lie going to sleep, and I'm just repeating the same thing over and over again in my head. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know what happens when you wake up? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his mind. Be strong in the Lord and in the... When Joshua was going into that promised land, God said, put it on your lips. Right? We need to get the word of God in our mouths. Repeat, deal with the very area of your weakness where the enemy makes you panic. Find the verse. There's even apps that will give you the verse. You're so blessed. You live in an amazing era. I go, I'm struggling with this. I type it in and up it comes on my app. And there I've got 19 verses all about it. And I just walk around meditating on the verses. Yeah. It's all there. Why? Because I want to be strong. Yeah. I don't want to put up with weaknesses inside of me. Say it. Phil Pringle, I love this, says, imagine that your brain is a computer and your 
Your tongue is the keyboard. You input stuff biblically into your life through your mouth. And as we speak, James says your, 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 your mouth, your tongue is like the rudder of a ship steering you. Where are you going to be steered? As you input through your mouth, your life will begin to change. Right? The power of life and death is in the tongue. Jesus said, speak to the mountain. As we confess, something happens. The third thing we do, the first is reading, then saying, then doing. Nothing beats doing. I have to say, if we just stop at reading and saying, it won't really take root in our lives. But something powerful happens when you start to do. So anybody here scared of flying? I can cure you this year. Book a flight. And then what? Book another one. And then what? Book another one. To be truly sure of shifting a weakness in you, you've got to start to do unforgiveness. Right, write them a note and send them some money. Are you kidding me? Well, you're not serious about it then. I've sent money to people that hate me. Makes me feel great. Bless you, there's some flowers. 40,000 feet. Unless you're ruthless and you, listen, don't live in the theory of the praying and the saying and the reading. Take it into the doing and things start to change. When you start to do the word of God, remember it said, uh, Matthew 7, it says, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Now, um, we'll be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Remember the word practice. I like the word practice. Anybody like the word practice? Because it means I don't have to be good at it. I'm practicing. So I'm going to start to do forgiveness before I ever feel forgiveness. I'm going to start to do praying before I feel praying. I'm going to do fearless. Whatever you're scared of, go, go do it. If your thing is, I don't get the Bible, book in for Bible school. If your thing is, I don't get prayer, come to prayer school or book into Rooted. Get, begin to do something that chips away because nothing is as powerful as doing. When you actually start to do and you build a habit in the area of your weakness, truthfully, less will happen in maybe three weeks than you think. But much more will happen in a year than you ever thought possible. If you build a habit that counteracts your weakness, but it takes real boldness to do that, I'm going to book it in, and I'm just going to start doing it. And as I do it, I will feel different on the inside, and I will change. There's something about doing. Does that make sense? If, If control is your issue, practice releasing this week. See, control used to be one of my issues. It's, it's the heart of a perfectionist. Any perfectionist in the room? Oh, Jesus, help us. Actually, guys, you didn't raise your hands properly. Please raise them in straight lines. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, perfectionists everywhere. Thank you. That's it. Ooh, and it was a bit unbalanced. It was more on that side than that side. It's just not very good. But actually, perfectionism control, you're only lining yourself up for stress. Anybody? <laughs> And so I would practice going into work and I'd go, right, in every single situation where I can, I'm going to say to all my staff, it's up to you, you choose. You make the decision, I trust you. Now, I'll be honest, on the inside, I'm going, you made the decision, I trust you. What are they going to do? But the issue was all mine. They made great decisions. They made better decisions than I made. The issue was all mine. I was creating stress in my own world by control. But as I practiced release, peace. And you realize it's not an engine, it's a garden. Listen, if your issue is shame, practice vulnerability. The power of shame is in silence and secrecy. Find a good friend, a pastor, someone spiritual. 
and just Paul said I will boast about my weakness it's okay to be weak join the club I, I very much doubt there's anyone in this room that hasn't been through all kinds of issues some really normal and just to do with fears others really quite seedy and difficult and shame filled but let me tell you all of humanity is broken but in our vulnerability see Jesus didn't die for the mask he died for you he doesn't love the mask he loves you in all your sin, he still died for you. You at your worst, you've disappointed you, but you've not disappointed God. God never expected you to be holy and great and wonderful without his help. You were made to live with him. And as we practice vulnerability, I, I've been through this thing. This is my history. I've got some regrets. And, and we realize the person across the table is smiling. And that usually they say things like, been there too. Yeah, been that, heard that before. Don't worry, you'll get through it. Yeah, happens lots. Yeah, lots of people get caught in that. You'll get through it. Just do this, this, and this. Vulnerability makes us incredibly strong. Because the enemy can't open your cage and make you flap. Just be vulnerable. Now, I don't mean take a half page out in the whole Daily Mail and write all your sins in it. You don't have to come up here and confess them. I mean, you're okay to live real. This is the kind of church you can sin in. Let that irritate a few. The holier than thou's are all sweating now. This is the kind of church you can sin in and you're going to find grace and the strength of God to lift you. A final point regarding being strong. Yes, we've got to... It's reading, it's saying, it's doing. The last one... I'll say it's praying, but I don't think that's a great word because I think our minds go to a certain place. So I want to expand that word. As we build our communion with God, we become strong. Can I tell you the real secret to strength? Get my mic right. You ready? Jesus. Just knowing Jesus. See, I'm ending my three talks on the interior castle, so I should tell you what the book, The Interior Castle, a several hundred-year-old book that I've been reading, is really about. It's a book about communing with God. And you build the interior castle, and it goes through several, goes through seven, actually, layers of different depths of communing with God. And every time you go deeper, you get more abandoned to who He is and less bothered about what other people think and what's going on in the world around about you. I mean, even to the highest point where people like the Apostle Paul must have been, where he said things like, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, I consider all this done compared with the surpassing greatness of knowing him. There's something incredible about getting close to Jesus that makes us strong. Say Jesus. Oh, isn't he a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful name? Proverbs says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into him and are saved. The name of the Lord is your strong tower. Where do you run in difficulty and in fear? Let's run to Jesus. Let's run into the name of the Lord. Let's do what he taught us to do. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, let heaven come to my world. There's something wrapped up in the wonder of who Jesus is. 
in the desert, they were being bitten by snakes. And Moses took a snake and put it, a, 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 a bronze casting of a snake and put it over a cross. And they looked up to the pole and those who looked were healed. There's something about looking to Jesus that makes us strong. Yes. I remember in one of, one of I, I've, I've had a few what I would call dark seasons in my life. But you know what? They've been the most rewarding seasons. Because sometimes in the deep, dark days of despair, I've never known such a clarity of who Jesus is. I remember once closing my eyes and finding myself in a strong tower. And I looked up in the tower and there was Jesus. And for months, he came to me every day and spoke to me in the tower of his presence, in the tower of his name. And actually for several months, it was the only place on God's earth I felt safe and strong. But I knew the name of the Lord is a strong tower. I want to encourage you, Revive Church, if you really want to be strong and build an interior castle, go to higher levels of communion with Jesus. Go deeper with him. Go longer. Go stronger. Spend more time. Enjoy him. Don't be conned by religion that it's how loud you go or how, you know, how impressive you sound. Commune with him in your heart. He says, I come to you. I'm knocking on your door. If you open, my dad and I will come and eat with you. Eat with Jesus in your heart. Enjoy him. Whatever you're doing around the day, commune and enjoy and lap him up. Why? Because strength is really found in who Jesus is is. Amen. A couple of final scriptures. The Lord your God, would you stand with me? The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. Close your eyes and listen to this. This is him talking about you. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you. He'll stop all your flapping with his love. He'll rejoice over you with singing. Though the fig tree does not bud and there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there's no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stores, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Saviour. Listen to this. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. The Sovereign Lord is your strength. The Sovereign Lord. Just close your eyes and receive from God right now. He's your strength. Go higher in communion with Him. Go higher in communion with Him. I don't even mean come to more prayer meetings. That might be part of it. But what I really mean is in your heart, enjoy Him. In your heart, enjoy Him. In your heart, enjoy Him. God, tear out the fear and the control and the unforgiveness and the addictions and the shame and ambition and care and negativity. But God, more than anything, let us commune with you in our hearts. 